0: The research that we did really supports the viewpoint that a healthy life equates to healthy hearing.
1: In this episode, Factors Shaping the Hearing Loss Landscape, we'll hear from Professor Bomini Gopinath from Macquarie University, who will talk about what the hearing loss landscape looks like today and what factors currently shape it. We'll also learn about some of the pivotal longitudinal studies on hearing loss, and discuss the connection between public health and hearing loss to better understand the implications for both professionals and patients. This is a podcast for hearing health professionals. If you are a person with hearing loss or a member of the general public, please seek advice from your health professional about treatments for hearing loss. Bomani, thank you so much for joining us on Hearing Health Today. We're delighted to have you on the program.
0: Well, I'm very delighted to be here with you, Prey.
1: And just out of curiosity, where are you speaking to us from today?
0: So I'm speaking to you uh, from my home in Sydney, Australia. So we're currently in lockdown. Um, Otherwise, I'd be speaking to you from my office uh, at Macquarie University.
1: Ah, fantastic. Well, I know it's a tough time with lockdown. So thank you for taking time out amid all the crazy that's happening in Australia right now to speak with us a little bit about your insight into uh, the hearing loss landscape. So you're a little bit different than some of the other uh, interviewees we've had on the podcast in the sense that you're not a clinician, but you're actually an epidemiologist. What inspired you to pursue a career in epidemiology, and and how did that sort of end up in a role that focuses on hearing loss?
0: Craig, I actually started off my uh, research career in uh, biomedical science, and then I did a PhD in molecular biology, but. When I started working as a junior postdoc in a lab, I mm-hmm. quickly found out that really this was not the career path I want to be on.
1: Okay. And,
0: yeah. um, I really wanted a change in my research career. And when I was talking to some friends and colleagues who were working in public health and epidemiology, I really found their research and the work they were doing really interesting and exciting. So I guess that's how I first got into it by way of these conversations that i had with them and then pretty soon after that i applied for a job within the area of public health at the university of sydney and i essentially trained on the job as an epidemiologist by working on oh
1: wow okay i
0: didn't have any sort of formal qualifications in epidemiology but trained on the job as an epidemiologist we were very lucky to have access to large Adult and childhood population based studies and really rich data sets. So epidemiologists love to work with big data. Um, yeah. we're kind of nerds in that way, but I loved it because it's allowed me to be exposed to such diverse research areas. And one of those areas was uh, hearing loss and hearing health.
1: Yeah, tell me about that. Because so when I think of epidemiology or public health, uh, especially in this era, you don't typically think of hearing. So how did those two end up going together?
0: I was very lucky. My mentor and my boss, Professor Paul Mitchell, um, he's actually an ophthalmologist, but he did a landmark sensory loss study known as the Blue Mountains Eye and Hearing Study. And through the study, which had around 3,564 adults aged 50 years and over, Mm -hmm. we followed these adults up for 15 years Mm -hmm. and we collected data on vision and hearing loss. So when I joined Paul's group, because it was an ophthalmology sort of focused group, no one was looking at the hearing data. So Paul basically said, we have so much data on hearing loss and no one wants to do anything with it. Can you work on it? I essentially looked at the hearing loss data we only collected data from in the blue mountain study from the second wave onwards so we had 10 year data on hearing loss so that's how i got onto that
1: when you look at hearing loss from an epidemiological perspective, I would imagine you have, you know, a different take than someone who might look at it individually from a clinical perspective where you're seeing sort of individual patients, but not necessarily looking at a population level. Yeah. What, what were some of the insights that came out of that analysis?
0: Yeah. So in terms of looking at it from a public health lens, epidemiological lens, we tend to go beyond speech perception ability, hearing thresholds. We're re- really looking at, at those broader health and social outcomes. With the Blue Mountains data set, we had this really amazing opportunity to look at how hearing loss impacts on quality of life, functional ability, mental health, and also social outcomes like retirement and workplace functioning. In terms of um, looking at how hearing loss impacts on quality of life, with the Blue Mountains cohort, uh, we were able to administer a quality of life instrument scale called the XF36. Okay. And what we found is that hearing impaired adults versus those adults who had normal hearing scored lower on seven out of the eight SF36 domains over a five-year period. And some of these domains included things like uh, role limitations due to physical and emotional problems, vitality, general health, social functioning. But it was really interesting to see that those hearing-impaired adults who reported using a hearing aid had a lower decline in quality of life. And it indicated to us that, you know, hearing aid use could help to preserve optimal quality of life in hearing impaired adults.
1: What was the age range that you were looking at?
0: Yeah. So these are an older population. So it's 50 years and older.
1: 50 years and older. Okay. Interesting. And have there been follow-up studies or similar types of studies that you've been involved with to look at how hearing loss affects quality of life?
0: That's a really good question. The Blue Mountain study, it was done in the 90s. We wrapped it up in 2007-2009 so the data is quite old and so we recognized there's a need for contemporary data on hearing health and how hearing interventions could impact on these broad range health and social outcomes so we were lucky enough this year to be funded to conduct a study to look at hearing aid users and cochlear implant users aged 40 years over Mm -hmm. and we want to follow them up and see how the hearing interventions and the, the different hearing rehab pathways impact on, say, social functioning, quality of life, mental health, cognition, so a whole broad range. Also relationships, something that's not been very well looked at um, in hearing impaired adults.
1: Based on the research findings that you have from the Blue Mountain Study and some of the other research publications that you have, and I understand that you have about 200, 230 publications to your name, so it sounds like you have a, a steeped history in this. How would you describe the hearing loss landscape today and what currently shapes it? So I know you talked about some of the domains that affected the the outcomes, I guess, for people that um, have hearing loss, but based on some of the research that you've done today, like what do you think is impacting uh, the hearing loss landscape?
0: Yes, yeah, so in terms of what the current hearing loss landscape looks like today, We know, at least in Australia, that Mm -hmm. around less than 40% of adults um, with the hearing loss receive any type of intervention. Mm -hmm. We also know from research, including ours, Mm -hmm. that adults delay seeking help for the hearing loss by an average of around eight to nine years. Mm -hmm. This means there's a substantial number of adults Um, who are likely to continue to experience those physical um, and psychosocial impacts of untreated hearing loss. And one of the main reasons for this is that the current hearing loss landscape um, is not being regarded through a public health lens. So it's not being shaped through a public health lens. Yeah this is why we see interventions that largely tend to prioritize devices over people mm. and we also seeing that hearing checks are not included as part of those general health or life checks that are currently in place for adults there's a large number of adults with the hearing loss that continue to face stigma discrimination um, barriers to access including access to healthcare. And we feel with the research that we're doing now, we have an opportunity to shape this landscape by bringing a public health perspective, essentially.
1: And what would that look like, I guess, like if we were to have an approach to treating hearing loss that was more person centric as opposed to device or treatment centric, what would that actually look like on the ground?
0: So it's really going away from the current medical model Mm -hmm. of treating and managing at onset hearing loss and moving towards a more holistic um, biopsychosocial model to addressing hearing loss. To ensure that or to get to that point, I think we need to address the current gaps in epidemiological Mm -hmm. data and research evidence around what the impacts of hearing loss are, what are the benefits of um, hearing intervention. And I think with the research that we're doing, we're trying to address that to ensure that we are having a holistic or biopsychosocial model, we need to first advance the knowledge base, which would then help contribute towards shaping evidence-based clinical guidelines for best practice management of adult onset hearing loss, Um, because currently there is a lack Mm. of best practice clinical guidelines for hearing loss in adults. And um, really, this is a challenge in regard to, you know, reaching optimal outcomes for hearing-impaired adults. Um, And also what... A hearing loss landscape that would be shaped by public health lens uh, would ne- also need the strong research evidence and data that could be potentially provided by the research that we do and others um, to try and inform the design of more sensitive tools or patient reported outcome measures sure. that we be used to measure the benefits of hearing interventions. So not just focusing on hearing thresholds and speech perception ability.
1: But sort of more lifestyle factors that might be associated.
0: Correct. Yeah. So looking at the broader person. Yeah.
1: Why do you think that there has been a gap in the evidence base for so long in hearing or hearing loss more specifically?
0: It's a really good question because I. it's really um, hard to answer that question. I sometimes think, why is there this gap? Because yeah. if, you look at, if you look at vision loss. Yeah it's leaps and bounds ahead of hearing loss. I mean, we have um, large uh, ophthalmological, epidemiological consortia for vision loss. Mm -hmm. We haven't reached that level yet in hearing loss, and I really don't know. And it could be the fact that it is viewed through only an audiological lens, Mm -hmm. but not through that public health lens that I was talking about.
1: Yeah, and I guess maybe, I don't know, I'm just speculating, since it's more of an invisible manifestation as if if someone loses their vision, it's more evident than if someone loses their hearing. I've always wondered if sort of that plays into the way that both society and academia sort of like treat hearing loss as a disease.
0: Yeah, at this stage, it's not considered as a public health priority. Um, Mm -hmm. It's considered as a normal part of aging, although it has such huge impacts on an individual's life and the way they function in society, in their workplace, in relationships. So I think that is a key aspect. You're very right, yeah.
1: And I was wondering if we could dive a little bit more into some of the domains that you mentioned. What are those other lifestyle factors that are ramifications of having hearing loss?
0: There's a mental component summary score, Mm -hmm. which is an indication of mental well-being. Mm -hmm. And then there's a physical component summary score, uh, which is an indication of physical health. So this is just a summary of the SF36 scores. But Mm -hmm. what we saw is that hearing impaired adults compared to those who had a normal hearing function, they had really low scoring on both the mental and the physical um, well-being scores. So it shows that hearing impairment in the longer term really has a negative impact uh, on an older adult's physical and mental health. Those impacts were very similar to what we observe when we look at visually impaired adults.
1: Interesting. And wh- do you have a sense as to why physical? I know a lot of people talked about the mental health link with um, hearing loss, but I don't think a lot of people talk about sort of physical health yeah. and how that might be associated with hearing loss.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really um, interesting area. I have read of other studies that have shown that um, older hearing-impaired adults are less physically active. Um, they reported lower levels of exercise. Um, And this could be due to the fact that older hearing-impaired adults might be more socially isolated, and as a result, they're not getting out there uh, and exercising. But it could also be associated with the fact that there's a link with hearing loss and frailty. Hmm. and um, reduced functional ability. So with the uh, Blue Mountain study, we showed that hearing-impaired adults reported restrictions in their routine activities of daily living, things like doing their shopping, doing their household chores, and essentially they had a greater risk of experiencing functional disability. Hmm. So the link with physical health and hearing loss um, could probably be due to various pathways, through frailty, through an accelerated process of aging, um, and through reduced functional ability.
1: So we've talked a lot about the ramifications of hearing loss, but have you um, been able to glean what some of the other risk factors are for hearing loss? So when we're looking at Mm -hmm. um, hearing loss prevention, are there things beyond what, you know, we might typically think of like noise exposure, or are there other lifestyle factors that might actually be more highly correlated with the prevalence of having hearing loss in the future?
0: Um, Yes, that's a really good question. So a lot of our research that we've done with the Blue Mountains cohort, um, we've tried to identify novel lifestyle risk factors, um, Mm -hmm. particularly dietary factors and how Mm, this might influence. Yeah, so this is quite novel stuff that we did with the Blue Mountains cohort. And the research that we did with the Blue Mountains cohort um, really supports the viewpoint that a healthy life equates mm. to healthy hearing. So if I can give you some examples. Yeah. Um,
1: Tell me what not to eat. <laughs> <All right.
0: laughs> yeah, what what probably more what you can eat more of. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's probably fish. So it was really interesting. Um, Hmm. We were one of the few studies to show longitudinally, at least, that adults who had two or more serves of fish per day versus those uh, who had less than one serve of fish per day, these adults had a 42% reduced risk of developing hearing loss over five years.
1: Really? Two or more servings of fish per day, 42% reduced likelihood of developing hearing loss.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was supported by the fact that we also saw that those adults who reported greater intake of omega-3 fatty acids also had a reduced risk of developing hearing loss over that five-year period. It was quite a novel finding.
1: Do you think that's related to omega-3s? or um, So is it a particular type of
0: fish or just fish in general? We looked at fish in general. And because we found the same sort of link, for protective effect with omega 3 fatty acids, which yeah. is um, the major constituent of fish. We think it is probably the protective effect of fish is due to these fatty acids. Mm. We know that fish intake and omega-3 fatty acids protect against the development of cardiovascular disease. Mm. They're known to have anti-inflammatory properties. And we know cardiovascular disease is an underlying or a risk factor for hearing loss development as well. So we think it could be through these pathways that fish intake might confer a protective effect on hearing function. Interesting.
1: That is fascinating. Are, so did you find anything else? I don't know. It's like smoking, alcohol consumption, physical activity. Or is, are there Were there any other strong correlations between uh, lifestyle and risk of developing hearing loss?
0: Yeah. So I just wanted to touch on two other dietary factors. That oh are yeah. Go loss. tell me, I yeah, want yeah. to know. And then I'll get on to the yeah, um,
1: okay.
0: smoking and alcohol and so on. But um, essentially we also found that cereal um, fiber intake has a protective effect as mm-hmm. well against the development of hearing loss. And we know that cereal fiber protects against the development of type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease. So these are all chronic diseases that are thought to be implicated. Um, in development of hearing loss. So it sort of concurs some of the other um, research that's out there. And more recently, last year, we published a paper using Blue Mountain's data set showing dietary flavonoids so these are powerful antioxidants Mm -hmm. they've got important anti-inflammatory benefits for the body so flavonoids are things that you find in your vegetables berries citrus fruits and green tea and red wine and essentially we found that dietary flavonoids or specific flavonoids protect against development of hearing loss in, um, in older adults so that was quite it was the first study to show that but we do need sort of other studies to confirm what we found in the blue Mountains.
1: Okay, so you're telling me, Weet-Bix or wheaties, fish a couple times a day, maybe some red wine to, to cap it off. Uh, if we're if we're following the uh, the study uh, correlation, I guess between dietary risk factors and hearing loss.
0: Absolutely, yeah, th- those seem to be quite good. And these are like is a no brainer, right? A lot of these dietary factors are already known to be good for us, protecting against the development of other chronic conditions. So it does sort of make sense that it would also help us in terms of maintaining optimal hearing function.
1: And what about some of the other lifestyle risk factors?
0: We did look at smoking and hearing loss in our Blue Mountains cohort, and we didn't find any significant links. Um, there are other studies that have shown in an association. Um, but in terms of alcohol consumption, that was a really interesting finding because cross-sectionally we found that we looked at different types of alcohol so red wine white wine spirits beer having one to two drinks per day um, was associated with around 25 percent reduced odds of having hearing loss
1: of any type
0: of any type so it was just total alcohol consumption but before anyone gets excited um
1: here here we go (laughs)
0: Yeah, you know, we were like, oh, this is good. Um, but then I was like, okay, I can justify my glass of red wine with my dinner. But uh, when we looked at it longitudinally, that association or that protective effect against the development of um, hearing loss didn't actually persist. Hmm. Why we might see that link initially or cross sectionally, but there's no longitudinal link, is that alcohol consumption or hearing loss. Um, might reduce opportunities for social interaction, social engagement where alcohol is often consumed. So you see a link cross-sectionally, but when we look at it longitudinally, it doesn't necessarily confer a a protective effect against hearing impairment.
1: Okay, so I guess maybe a personal interest question, but so around the uh, dietary flavonoids that you mentioned, which you find in berries or um, citrus fruits, red wine, were you able to determine whether, I guess, red wine in particular does indeed have a protective effect or it's still kind of unclear because there's conflicting evidence on the alcohol consumption in general?
0: Um, I think we have to say the jury's out on that one because yes, we found a protective effect um, cross-sectionally between red wine. So having uh, one to two glasses of red wine um, per day in our cohort was associated with the reduced likelihood of having hearing loss. But again, when we looked at it longitudinally or prospectively, there was no protective effect. I know there are other studies that looked at this, and I think we need more evidence in this area before we can say public health recommendations around how many glasses of wine that might be protective or therapeutic against the development of hearing loss.
1: What about, yeah, I'm just curious, like physical activity or social interactions? Did you find any evidence in terms of association between those activities and hearing loss?
0: In terms of physical activity, again, unfortunately, we didn't see um, a link between physical activity levels in our cohort and hearing loss risk. But I've read quite a few studies um, that have shown that hearing impaired adults um, have a lower level of physical activity um, and physical activity in turn could modify the risk of developing hearing loss, but again, I think we really do need more research around it before um, we can you know identify um, preventive strategies that might involve physical activity
1: so could you tell me a little bit more around the sf thirty uh, six metric that you used in the blue mountain study
0: the sf thirty six is a widely used validated health related quality of life instrument, so um, it's been administered in other, um, in the context of other conditions, vision, hearing, and range of other chronic diseases. So um, it hasn't been so well looked at in, in with hearing loss. So it's a very comprehensive quality of life instrument.
1: Would you recommend that other hearing care professionals use a quality of life instrument like SF thirty six in their evaluation of patients, or what, what's the recommendation? Um, for that in terms of overall hearing care?
0: I think it's valuable if they did use a quality of life instrument, but SF36 might not be the, the best one. It's a really long scale. There are shorter scales um, and validated scales out there. Uh, So for example, the EQ5D5L um, is something that we're using more and more in our research. That's another quality of life instrument. Um, So there are sort of shorter quality of life instruments that um, hearing healthcare professionals could use to assess quality of life. But I think it is essential that this is assessed as part of Um, you know, rehabilitation and understanding what the outcomes might be and how hearing interventions would impact on quality of life.
1: Yeah. And I'm just sort of going back to something you said earlier, where hearing loss isn't really often viewed from a public health perspective or isn't part of the screening that happens for general adult wellness checkups. Mm. Should it be? And I guess if yes, what should, beyond sort of the traditional hearing screening, are there maybe other ways that we might be able to identify people who are at a greater risk for hearing loss through some of the standard instruments that are already used or could be easily integrated into a general practitioner or primary care physician's workflow?
0: I think that's a really good question. And there is so much value in integrating a hearing check as part of those general life or health checks. Mm -hmm. Um, And with the World Health Organization's call to action Mm -hmm. um, in the 2021 World Report on Hearing, that's exactly what they're asking for, that all governments Mm -hmm. um, need to integrate people-centred ear and hearing care into those national health plans for universal health coverage. And and within the GP setting, it's an absolutely prime or optimal setting to identify um, a person who might be experiencing hearing loss much earlier on through various sort of um, screening tools. Um, And it doesn't need to be something comprehensive. It could just be a simple question as Do you feel that you have a hearing loss? Do you feel that your hearing function um, has declined? Uh, So these sort of simple questions uh, that can be easily implemented into a GP's uh, workflow. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a lack of decision support tools and decision-making aids. And this is a gap in practice, I guess. And if there are ways and approaches that we could implement or integrate shared decision-making aids that GPs and patients could use. This could really help people to be more empowered or motivated to do something about their hearing loss early on.
1: Have you guys found any evidence around why adults with hearing loss don't seek treatment or receive treatment sooner? From a a public health perspective, an epidemiological perspective, is there anything in the evidence that might point to to why that's happening by and large or what one of the largest factors is? So as a society, we can maybe focus on that um, as the the biggest fish first when we try and um, tackle this hearing loss epidemic.
0: Yeah. And I think it requires a multi-pronged approach. And from a public health perspective, public health strategies, for example, always take a multi-pronged approach. Mm -hmm. Our research, um, the way the questions were um, worded in the Blue Mountains study didn't allow us to really explore that Um, the reasons as to why people weren't accessing hearing health care, why they weren't um, using their hearing aids. But what we do know from other research is that it's multiple reasons. So um, cost is one, um, the stigma that's associated with hearing loss. And um, I think with older adults, they tend to not prioritise their hearing Mm -hmm. compared to all the other chronic conditions that they might have. And, and vision loss is something that they prioritize over their hearing. And they think hearing is a normal part of aging, that they need to accept it. When I talk to some of the participants in our research, the new research studies that we've got, and when I tell them hearing loss rather than vision loss was actually associated with the reduced odds of successful aging.
1: You mentioned, I mean, we all know that there's a lot of um, adults, particularly older adults, that could benefit from a hearing intervention. but If the pharmacist, if the GP, if the PCP that people are seeing in their day-to-day life reinforce that message, um, we might have higher success at reaching that cohort, as opposed to really trying to drive more intervention through the audiologist, Mm. because I guess the people that are seeing the audiologist are already largely getting some sort of intervention.
0: No, absolutely. But I think there's another step that we need before we involve those practitioners, which is educating our healthcare professionals about what are the risk factors that we need to look out for in adults, and who might be at risk of hearing loss? What are the impacts? We they need to understand that hearing loss as actually has a substantial negative impact on a men, on the mental health of older adults. So uh, these are things that or issues that our uh, healthcare professionals are not aware of. So some of the research that we're trying to do is about educating or developing educational programs mm. for healthcare professionals. Um, outside of audiology.
1: And is there any resistance to that? Or it's just this area that hasn't really been focused on before?
0: There is no resistance. I think um, it's becoming it's more and more recognized that hearing loss is really an important uh, issue that we need to address. And I think healthcare professionals are much more open to learning about it and understanding what are those broad and, health and social outcomes that are associated with hearing loss. So I think there isn't a the resistance. I just think there hasn't been much work done in the area of developing educational programs for healthcare professionals.
1: I know we talked a lot about the different risk factors um, outside of the traditional ones that we think about for hearing loss that might affect um, someone's propensity to develop hearing loss later on. How does that impact the type of services that a health professional might offer today? If I were a primary care physician today um, listening to this podcast, how might I change the way that I interact with um, some of my patients to help identify those who might be at the highest risk of developing hearing loss later in life?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's a difficult one. I mean, as I said, there are so many sort of uh, one-liner questions that GPs could just integrate. For example, we have an over-50 health checkup that – um, it's just a general health checkup that 50-year-olds and overdo. Um, at that point, there's stuff around vision, but just a simple question could be tagged on to that. Yeah. You know, Do you have any difficulties when you're out there you know, with your family or in a social setting that you find difficult to hear the conversation or keep up with, something simple like that? Those have been found to be really effective. So I don't think it needs to be anything complex. And I think it's difficult at this stage to incorporate all those other risk factors that I was telling you about diet, Mm. physical activity. I just don't think GPs have the time to go through all that and go, oh, I think if they're not eating this much fish, they could be at a risk of eating loss. At this stage, I think we have to just focus on those simple, quick, early wins Mm. um, and, and then take it from there because we're not even there
1: yeah that's true
0: those simple questions aren't even integrated and i don't think we're going to integrate other things like diet and yeah noise even
1: baby steps let's start with the general question yeah like how's your hearing in a social setting yeah yeah okay that's fantastic um bomini this has been a fascinating conversation thank you so much for joining the podcast while the research is pending i will up my fish intake as well as my intake of wheaties wheat bix and um I'm probably already there with the red wine, so maybe I'll just keep that steady. But uh, uh, thank you again for for joining the podcast and sharing a totally different perspective on hearing health.
0: Thanks so much, Craig, uh, for having me today. It was such a pleasure and it was so much fun talking to you and hope it was informative for everyone that listens to it.
1: Indeed, I'm sure it will be. Um, best of luck on your new research study. And we look forward to connecting with you again once you have some early findings from that.
0: I look forward to it. Thanks so much.
1: We've received some amazing feedback from our listeners around the world, and we'd love for you to share your perspectives with us so we can work towards creating the most engaging podcast as we possibly can. Click the link in the description to share your thoughts. Stay tuned for next time when we speak with Professor Kelvin Kong about the referral pathways for chronic otitis media. Just a quick reminder, the views of the interviewees in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Cochlear Limited or its subsidiaries. This material is intended for health professionals. If you are a person with hearing loss or a member of the general public, please seek advice from your health professional about treatments for hearing loss. Outcomes may vary and your health professional can advise about the factors which could affect your outcome.